Grace and peace is ours through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If you want to know what's important to us, you know how you can find out to you or somebody else. Just look at our prayers. What's that laundry list that we give to God when it's in the secret of our heart? Just between God and us and what we really ask for, that'll tell you what's important to us. It's interesting, when the disciples saw Jesus praying and they knew that he had a, a perfect prayer life, they said, teach us to pray. And he gave us the Lord's Prayer. You know what he was doing? He was telling us what was important to God's heart, what God's list was for prayer, that God wanted to be the recipient of prayer. So if you want to know what's important to God, you look at the petitions of the prayer. And tonight, we're looking at this one petition that we have highlighted of the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation. God's heart burns inside of him when he sees one of us fall into sin. And it's very easy to forget that. We live in a society that actually makes it almost taboo to talk about in terms of right or wrong that it be, it be that there's something called sin. It, it, they almost push that out of our vocabulary. But in the church, we know it's the very word of God, that that is our biggest issue. And God says it right in the Lord's Prayer that he is, he's, we are no match for the foe the devil. The, in the song we just sang, Luther said that on earth is not his equal. And so the, many people struggle with why would God ever want us to say, lead us not into temptation because God doesn't lead anyone into sin. He doesn't want to, right? And when you see that phrase, you kind of get stumped by it. But what it's saying is I want you to come to me and say, I can't handle temptation. So don't lead me into it, Lord. Protect me from it. That's why when you watch Christ, who got tempted by the devil, it's so helpful. This, was, this is huge to the Father. Now, remember what I said at the beginning of church. I said Jesus went into the desert right after his baptism. In fact, the reading we're about to start starts with then. And it means after his baptism. And the first thing he did as his act of ministry as the Savior of the world after his baptism, was to go through the most severe temptation. He says, Matthew says, then the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. So as, as I read through this text, there's going to be like four slides. Uh, I want you to join me when we read what Jesus said to the devil when he was tempted, okay? He's going to be quoting scripture, and I'll, I'll, I'll cue you up. So then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That's probably a huge understatement, isn't it? Then the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Take control. Jesus answered, let's all say this, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We're going to unpack this in a minute. Then the devil took him to the holy city, and he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Estimates are this is 300 feet all the way down on this, this uh, southeastern corner of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, since you want to quote scripture, there's a passage in Psalm 91 that says his angels will protect you. So if you're the son of God, remember, if you're the son of God, make these stones into bread. Now, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down and test the angels, test God. 
He will command his angels concerning you, and they'll lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. He's quoting Scripture. Jesus answered him, say this with me. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Remember, the devil's called in the Bible the prince of the power of the air, the God of this world. John said he, he's, everyone's under his sway except for the believers. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world where he has all this influence, and he showed him their splendor. All of this I will give you. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to suffer. Just for a moment, bow down and worship me. Let's say this together. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He, he did not say away from me in the first two. This time he said that this, this argument's over. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. And that's the story of the temptation of Christ. At the end of 40 days of no food or water, the most severe test. When you look at this, it's very helpful for us who are his followers, who have Christ covering us and we follow behind him in life. We're still here on planet earth to teach us about temptation and leading us not into temptation, all kinds of temptation, especially the big two, to break God's will and to believe God doesn't love you after you have. So we're going to unpack it just a little bit. And first, the first part is learning how the devil works just by watching what he did to Jesus. Now, all three of these temptations have some differences, but they do have one similarity that we've got to point out. Every single one of them were, te were tempting Jesus in a difficult situation to take charge and take control and do what Eve did at the tree. Remember the devil dismantled her thinking at the tree until he got her to not trust that God was good? He said, he's worried that you're going to be like him. And she believed that, and she looked at the tree, and she took charge. I even kind of highlighted it when I read it. And she looked and decided it would be good for food and good for her life, and that she would be like God if she ate it. So she took control. Well, you're the son of God. You're suffering hunger. Take control. Make these stones bread. But the father had sent his spirit to lead the son, which is a mystery of the Trinity, to lead him into the desert to do this. There's some big reasons God the Father wanted Jesus to do this, which I'm going to highlight just a little bit later. But Jesus would have stepped out of the will of his Father, which would be a sin if he took control. You see how deep that is? That's at the middle of the onion, not the surface of just making stones into bread. But it's the reason he would do that. If you're the Son of God, take control. Well, Jesus quotes scripture to him from Deuteronomy chapter 8. That's important because Deuteronomy is the word of God, but it's also from the, the book right after the 40-year wandering. We'll talk about that in a minute. So the devil comes at him again. You, wanna, he, you want to uh, quote scripture to me? I'll try to get you to take control in a different way. I'll try to get you to make decisions to live however you want and just expect the Father and His angels to compensate. But you go do what you want however you feel like it. Just, and then you let God figure out how He's going to react. Jump down. 
See if his angels will protect you the way he promises. That's kind of like saying, drive however you like. Expect God to ride alongside of you and make you safe. Or eat whatever you want and expect him to take care of your health. Or pollute your body with whatever substances you feel like and expect God to make it okay. Or make choices. I was focusing on the body, but just make choices and and make them without thinking of what God's will is and just expect God to bless those choices because after all, they were your choices and you're such a great person. Jesus said, don't put the Lord your God to the test. And then the last one was suffering like this Christ was dictated to. Remember that Jesus knew the prophecies that he would have to come and live a, a suffering life and die for us. You don't have to do all that. I'll just give it to you. You've got to bow down and worship me. You've got you to let me be your God, your, your leader. Take control and avoid the suffering. Away from me. You worship God and him alone. The last two quotes are also from Deuteronomy. This is what the devil does. Same thing he did with Eve. He does it to you and me. What's intriguing to me is that many Christians, including me, have thought when they finally discovered one of their biggest problems was trying to be in control of their life, we think it's unique to us. But people will say, I'm just a control freak. Like, I'm unique. Duh, we all are. Right? And if you think you're not, just wait until God touches you and takes away your health. And you're, it's out of your control, right? Where he doesn't allow it. And you're just like, ah, right? I can't fix this. I do. That's our sin. It's that root sin. And it shows up in, really, you could say thousands of ways. So know how the devil works. He wants to tap into that. He knows how he got us started with that when he tempted Eve. And he doesn't want us to live dependent and interdependent. He wants us to live self-sufficient. So how does Jesus handle him? That's part two of the sermon. The word of God works. Each time the devil tempted Jesus, he did not depend on his own reason, and he was the son of God. And he's doing that to teach us, because certainly Jesus could have done that, because he's called the word of God himself. And when Jesus speaks, it's the very word of God. In fact, we quote his words as the word of God, right? So anytime he spoke, he spoke the word of God. But he is being a man conquering the devil as the God-man for us. So as a man, he's not depending on his own reason. He's teaching us while he's dealing with the devil. Instead, he quotes scripture. So let me explain what I mean. You are no match for the devil. And your reason and your thoughts are no match for the devil. And this is one of the biggest Lies that our generation, especially in Western Civ, we are buying into is that we as humans are so bright that no one but no one can tell us what truth is except ourselves. Because we get to decide what's true for me because we, that's what it means to be whole as a person. That's exactly what the devil told Eve at the tree. And so if I feel like a woman... I might be one, and you better not call me a man, right? Or if I feel like I have an orientation sexually a certain way, and I may feel it honestly, it's got to be right because it's what? 
It's me. And it's that way about abortion and about feelings about creation or evolution or other, you know, a myriad of other things. Okay? These things are real, but the Bible just comes in and says you have two natures. They're both you. One's accidental, one's essential, and you struggle with, with, with them all. But let me guide you, is what God says. It's gonna be, life is going to be hard, but it's not complicated. For sinners, it is hard. But it's not complicated. You grab on to the Word of God, and you cling to it. And this is what Luther said, to hell with your feelings. But what the devil comes in and says, oh, no, you feel them. We have to explore them. When, in fact, if you filtered them through the Word of God and you found that it says something clearly, you can say, the Word of God is my guide. Worship the Lord your God and serve only Him. Don't test the Lord. Man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Whoever looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Right? And there's a thousand other passages we could think of. Here's the deal. Our job is not to first figure out our thoughts. Our job is to figure out God's thoughts. When we're struggling to know if something is right or wrong for me, we want to say, oh, Lord, Help me, guide me, and walk me through the, this hard part in my life. Give me your word. And once you discover that word and you check the context, and it is God's word in the context, Jesus is saying, you quote it. You quote it to your friends, you quote it to yourself, you quote it to your enemies, you quote it to the devil, you quote it. And you speak the word. Luther, uh, in one of his verses of A Mighty Fortress, I don't think... We sang that verse tonight, but he said, one little word and fell him, right? And he knew that spiritual battle very intimately and talked about it and wrote about it all the time. Jesus, show us how the word of God works. Um, I, I, I want to share an illustration. Um, I'm going to use medicine as an example. The, in sickness. Um, maybe you've heard stories. Maybe they've been part of your family's stories where someone had a diagnosis and they were in denial. Or they were about to need to go to the doctor to get a diagnosis, but they just felt they already knew better. Um, it happens with lots of diseases, right? I, I just know better. I remember in my own when uh, I had that heart attack and I went to the doctor and he said, now, I, I want you to take these, these medicines. And I had them for like two months and I did a follow-up. I said, when do I get to get off of these? He said, sir, you have heart disease. I was thinking, no, I just had an event. I had a heart attack, right? I don't have disease. Right? You have heart disease. He said, if you're going to be under my care, you are going to take this the rest of your life or some whatever I prescribe. Sometimes a person may have diabetes, but they don't feel, they feel good today. They don't feel like they have diabetes, right? Or someone gets diagnosed with cancer, but they say, I, I'm, I, don't, I'm not, I don't have cancer, right? What's the truth? 
Well, look at the, the MRI. Look at the CAT scan, right? Look at what they found in your arteries, dear heart patient. That's the difference between living by feelings and by the word, the truth. That's an, an illustration. You don't fool around with medical diagnoses just because you feel it. That's foolishness, right? Um, the third thing, though, the third part of watching Jesus fight the devil is more important than everything that I've showed you already. Yes, we need to know how the devil works. Yes, we need to know how the word works. The truth is, there's not a human being, including the greatest human beings displayed in the pages of Scripture, that hasn't failed. But yeah, he teaches us how to fight. Yes, the Lord burns when we fall into temptation. However, if you don't watch Jesus here through this lens that I'm about to show you, you're missing the, the biggest point of the story. So please don't. Greatest people in the Bible failing. What did God call Abraham that he's not called anybody else? Remember? He was called the friend of God. And the friend of God took Hagar as a second wife and gave birth to Ishmael because he didn't believe the promise after it had been so long, right? Before they had that they had Isaac. What was David called? A man after God's heart. And what did David do? Bathsheba and Uriah, right? Moses, the most humble man on the face of the earth. And pridefully, what did he do the second time God said to speak to the rock? He hit it and God said, you're not going to the promised land. I don't tolerate that. Failed. Job, God said to the devil, there's not a man more righteous than Job on the face of the planet. Right? There's Job late after everything's taken away, even his health, saying what? Where are you, God? If I look to the north, I can't find you. If I look to the south, you're not there. The east or west, where are you? If I had my, I'd go to your house if I knew where it was. And then I would stand before you and you would not find me guilty of sin because you know how faithful and how much integrity with which I've lived my life. Really? When God showed up, what did he say? Where were you? What do you know about me? That Job, and he's like us, sound familiar? He thought he could judge God based on how he tried so hard to be good and yet he was suffering so much bad. What I'm trying to say is we need Jesus to go to the wilderness for us and he did and look what he did. He suffered beyond 40 days, no eating or drinking. And why was it 40? Why not 20? Why not 50? Why not 30? Why 40? Why quote from Deuteronomy instead of other places like the Psalms? What's that all about? Why after his baptism and not before it? Jesus' baptism was passing through the water like the children of Israel passed through the Red Sea. Jesus was led out into the desert the way God led them into the desert and then up to the edge of the promised land. And then remember how they, they doubted whether God would give it to him. And so he said, "All you're going to stay here for 40 years. 
until everybody's died that's adults and the others will be grown up. And, and that doesn't mean, though, that the ones that grew up were good, better people. They were just as stiff-necked as their parents. And their stories sprinkled all over numbers about how stiff-necked they were and how they complained and they wanted food and different food and God was taking care of them, but it wasn't enough. And all kinds of wrestlings, right, with God and their immorality when Moses came down from the mountain at the beginning, all of that kind of stuff. They failed. They were sinful. And the only reason they went to the promised land was because of grace, not because they earned it. But they still needed a Savior. So the 40 days in the wilderness that Christ spent is a symbol that he covers the unrighteousness of the wandering of all sinners on the planet, which was first symbolized by the Israel wandering for 40 years. Pretty much most of their lives, right? So he covers their lives and ours with what? A very difficult part of his life and still never sinning. And when we, we tend to excuse ourselves when we go through difficulty. I'll show you what I mean in a family. Little boy or girl, three or four years old, is way out of line. They're acting up. They're worse than they normally do. And they're just out of sorts. Mom and dad will say a lot of times, and they're right, but they're not entirely right in letting them off the hook. They'll say, what? She's tired. She's tired. She needs some sleep. Put her out of her misery is what, what Mary always used to say. Put them out of their misery, right? And things got better if you could get them to sleep, right? Jesus is tired and he's hungry. And we are more prone to sin when we are that way. And yet he didn't. Clear, hanging on to scripture. Everything inside of him saying, eat the bread. Man does not live when God says, when the Father says, then I'll do it. We're a small group. Most of you are old enough. Do you remember Gene Wilder in the original Willy Wonka? You remember that movie, the Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? And while there, all these kids got the golden ticket and their parents came, they each had kind of a different kind of sin. You had the spoiled girl. I want an Oompa Loompa now, Daddy, right? You had the little boy that was real... You know, the gunslinger little kid, and he was real bossy. And then you had the, the favorite character, right, that we all fell in love with was little Charlie from the poor family, right? But at the very end of the movie, though, what does Willy Wonka say he's, to Charlie? He's the good kid. He goes, you and your grandpa, when you were in that room with those bubbles, you did whatever, right? Every single person that's ever lived and it even those we think are Charlie, if they're submitted to the righteous requirements of God's holiness, falls short except for Jesus. And that's why this picture is so important. Paul said it this way, all have sinned, remember that? And fallen short of the glory of God. Not one person has made it. Um, in the book of Revelation chapter 5, this is brought out in a drama. John was pulled into the vision. You know, all the visions of Revelation. He's pulled into the vision. In chapter 4, that God is on the throne. God the Father. There's a rainbow around him. And rumblings and thunder and glory and beauty and power and might. And 
He's sitting on the throne with a scroll that tells the future. It's got seven strings around it with wax seals on it. And, and God says, who is worthy to open the scrolls and tell the future for planet Earth? And everybody starts saying that in heaven. Who's worthy? Not one of the angels was worthy. None of the people were worthy that were there. And John starts to cry. He's so sucked in. He so wants to somebody be worthy to tell us the future and how life on planet Earth is going to go for us. Is there a future with all the trouble and all the persecution? It seems so dismal, right? Who's worthy to open the scrolls? And then comes into the scene, chapter 5. Then I saw a lamb that looked like it was what? Slain. In all of heaven, the, 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 there's, a, there's an elder, and he turns to John, and he goes, don't, don't cry. Look, there's the lamb. He's worthy to open the scroll. Because Jesus, it says, because he gave his life for the salvation of people. The Father deems him worthy. You know what God is saying? He's saying, I'm showing you that this is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased because as soon as we finish this baptism, he goes into the desert and he never sins in the hardest life that a person could be given. And he doesn't sin and he did it to redeem you. He, if Jesus had sinned, he could not die on the cross for you and it wouldn't do anything. He had to be holy and he had to prove his holiness in a life as a human being in this lifetime. And it wasn't complicated he went by the scriptures instead of his reason, but it was very hard. I have one desire tonight from this sermon and this text for you. This is my one desire. That you would learn to love Jesus more for how he worked his tail off during the temptation. To save your soul. Your sinful, failing soul. So that you would fall in love with him instead of your guilt. And when the devil, whose trick is, lead you into sin and then hound you with how God doesn't love you because you've done it again. That you would proclaim, I have a savior who didn't fall. And he won my salvation. And you would love him. Love him more. Faith and love toward God are something that grows. Sometimes they actually shrink. That's why I'm proclaiming this and preaching this to you are all believers. When uh, I love my parents. They raised six children and they gave up a lot to raise us. And I could tell that. But when Mary and I had our first, Donovan, and we had him for two weeks and we had some sleepless nights and we had a crying baby and we had worry and concern and we knew our schedule that we thought was so full was now three times fuller and it, it was not our own. It dawned on me one night in the middle of the night as I'm holding this baby and quieting him after two weeks that I'm now, Mary and I are now responsible for this human being. It dawned on me what my parents did for me the first two weeks. And I was number five. Like, they did all this? <laughs> when, when dawn came, I called my mother and she answered the phone. I said, she said, hello, I said, thank you. She goes, for what? I said, just for the first two weeks. That's all I'm going to thank you for. You did this for the first two weeks, and then you did 18 years, and then more. 
It's amazing, right? What that was, was learning what she did for us, right? By experience. Well, you've been through temptation. You know about hard living, right? You know about the struggles. And your Savior went through all of that for you and never gave in. Like you have to relieve yourself. So you could be saved. So you could have life. Just like your parents worked hard to give you life. He worked hard to give you life. I just want you to love him more than you did before. And that will help lead you not into temptation. For the right reasons. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand.